morning and welcome. So much to work with in the gospel story that we just heard. There's a lot about bread and about being fed. And today we have the privilege of celebrating a baptism together. Something that hasn't happened in quite a long time. Bread and baptism. Food and water. The gospel story this morning, it is from the gospel of John. And this particular story about feeding of thousands of people happens in all four of the gospels. Something that was deeply rooted in the hearts, in the, the, the world of our gospel writers so long ago. And there's details here and there that make each of their accounts a little bit different. So in looking at what John focuses on, John, John's Jesus, sort of seems to work on multiple levels at once. He is an embodied human being. He's a real person that is walking on the earth, that is experiencing all the senses, the ways in which we experience who we are and how we are in the world. But Jesus, in John's gospel, is also working, it seems, on this spiritual, theological plane. No detail is unimportant in John's gospel. There are five barley loaves and two fish that this young boy has. And it is from this little bit that everybody is nourished, that everybody has their fill, and then at the end of it, the disciples, of which there are 12, each take a basket and go fill up the baskets with the fragments. The story is also, it's very located in space and in time. Jesus and his disciples, they are back in the Galilee area. They are right next to a large body of water. He goes up on the mountain, he sits down and settles into the position of a teacher. He's there to teach his friends. He's there to teach his disciples. And as he's sitting there with his disciples, people are coming from all over the place and gathering around to listen because they have heard or perhaps even seen the signs that Jesus has been engaged with. They have heard and seen the healing that takes place for those who come close to Jesus. We also hear that the Passover was approaching. The Passover, that blessed, sacred meal that harkens all the way back to the Israelites' time when they were enslaved in Egypt. The plagues came and the last plague was coming and God gave Moses and Aaron the directions, this is how you will be saved and spared. This is the way to eat this meal. These are the particular practices to do. Take, take blood and put it over the lintel. All these details that seem a little bit strange. And yet were very important to the identity, to their understanding of who they were and whose they were. Because participation in the Passover initiated, was celebrated at this one time, and then was relived every year after. In fact, Judaism for quite a long time was centered around the worship in the temple space in Jerusalem. 
And then, at some point, the temple was destroyed. And yet, the faith kept on because these practices, they became so embedded within the household practices of daily life. I've often thought this past year or so with the pandemic and with us not being able to gather in person in the same ways. Church was still happening. God's work is still going on in the world. But I thought it's a little bit like when the temple was destroyed. And it became a time for us to engage in practices on our own terms or in our own ways to keep our faith growing, moving, to keep our faith alive, and to remain connected to each other and to our beloved church, St. John's. Okay. So Jesus, working on all these levels, he, he asks a question. He's one of those wise people who's like, I'm going to ask the question to see what everybody's thinking. Hey, Philip, how are we going to pay to feed everybody here? wasn't even a question in Jesus' mind. The people were there, they were going to be hungry, and he was going to be offering the hospitality. He was going to be offering of himself to feed those gathered long time ago on that mountainside, and those of us gathered here today in our various ways. As I was reflecting on the story this week, I sort of try to enter into the story through the different characters, the different people involved, or the, the timing or the space. And the, the character that intrigued me the most this go around was Andrew. Because Andrew is the disciple that asked, after Jesus poses this question to his friend Philip, and Philip's like, it's going to take a lot of money to feed all these people here. I don't think we can come up with it. It's Andrew who says, well, this little boy... He's got five barley loaves and a couple of fish. There are 5,000 people gathered. I wonder sometimes, was, was Andrew being a little snarky, a little sarcastic? Or did, did Andrew see, here's the beginning, here is just a little bit of what we need. Let's start with what we see, with what we have. That is, sat, that's been, I've been sitting with that this week. When I've thought, how many times is the answer or the provision there? But it just doesn't seem big enough or enough to take care of whatever problem or heartache or frustration I may be going through. Because oftentimes we don't see. We don't see what may be right in front of us. Well, it's this young boy's five barley loaves and two fish that somehow feed everyone and yield so many leftovers. There's another detail that John includes, and it's the fact that some of the gospel writers just say there was some loaves of bread. But by John saying that it was barley loaves, would imply this is not like artisanal sourdough that had been recently baked at home. Barley was the food of those who didn't have much. Simple, but enough for everyone there. This meal that Jesus shares with the 5,000, this meal that we echo in what we will share around this altar today, 
or maybe a sacred meal that you will be sharing with friends and family that you love. Jesus teaches us that when two or three are gathered, he is in our midst. Jesus offered himself on the mountain in this way. We echo receiving that offering in the Eucharist that we feast on when we gather together as God's people. Eucharist and baptism. Like the, the biggest, the two most important foundational practices, rituals that we engage in as God's people. Today we celebrate uh, baptism. We celebrate welcoming somebody into God's household. Now we are all born, I believe at least we are all born as God's children. There's nothing that we can do to separate ourselves or move ourselves away from that connection to God. And yet, in the same way we celebrate Eucharist, this feast together every week, in the same way we gather together when two people are celebrating their love together in a marriage, we celebrate baptism, where we embrace somebody new into God's household, where the water washes away the old, where the oil welcomes in the new. Where that sign, that seal, Jesus, the cross, is placed on the forehead, and we are marked as Christ's own forever. A sign that is a little bit visible today, but that as the days wear on becomes invisible to those who are seeing, to those who are looking from the outside, and yet is forever and always there. We use water. We use oil. The paschal candle is lit there as fire. All these very embodied practices that help to shape us, that help to remember us in God's household. And the celebration of baptism, it is not just for William today. It is for all of us. Because we all step in and remember our baptism. Or remember the memory of our baptisms. Last week, I was able, fortunately, to spend time with family. Family I haven't seen in two years. It was really good to be together. And the first day we were all together, at dinner time, we went around and said, so what was the highlight of the day? And for me, I realized it was, it was sitting together with family, breaking bread sharing in the sacred meal, just being with each other in our embodied physical beings. A few days later, some of us were at a swimming pool, cooling off in the Midwestern heat. And I looked over as my nephew and my daughter were playing, and I thought they were just splashing each other. But I looked over at my nephew, and he was using both of his hands and scooping the water over my daughter's head all in good play and fun. There were smiles and laughter. And then I caught what he was saying. God bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it, it gave me, it startled me for a moment because I thought, oh my goodness, we will be baptizing this Sunday. We hadn't been talking about God or baptism or anything. But here we were in a swimming pool surrounded by water 
And something within him encouraged him to engage in that playful act. My daughter, many, many years ago, went to a preschool, a Lutheran preschool. And at their weekly chapels, Beth would take them into the back of the church and they would start gathered around the font of water. And she would invite the little kids to place their hand in the water and then go offer each other a wet cross. Taking their hands, they would go give each other the sign of the cross to remind each other of their baptisms and the power of this water and the power of this practice. We shape ourselves, right? The things that we engage in shape who we are and how we are. The practice of the wet cross is a practice that I have loved, especially with little kids, but grown-ups, we can do it too, to remind ourselves of who we are and whose we are. Beloved, created for loving. I'll wrap this up here. There are several questions and promises that the baptizan will be making or the grown-ups in his life will be making on his behalf and that we will be remaking for ourselves and for our community. And there are two particular promises we make toward the end of the baptismal service. These two promises, I believe, have the power to transform our own lives, but to literally transform the world. We promise to serve Christ in all persons, loving our neighbor as ourselves. We promise to seek out and to see Christ in each other, in those for whom it's easy to see Christ and in those for whom it's a little more challenging, in those for whom we know really well and those for whom we don't know at all. Christ in us, in each other, in our midst. Serve Christ. And the next question is, we strive for justice and peace, respecting the dignity of every human being. That's a phrase, a vow, a promise that I return to again and again as one of those litmus tests. It's, it's simple and profound. What does it mean if we are each on our own, but also as a community, as a church, striving for justice and peace, whatever that may mean in its particulars? but with eyes toward respecting the dignity of every human being. This morning, as we share in breaking bread, this morning, as we share in remembering who we are as Christ's own, may God's work move within us, helping us to strive to be of service to Christ in each other, helping us to respect the dignity of all human beings. Amen.